Last week was National Police Week. Over the last several years, the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association has gotten accustomed to seeing many of its legislative priorities sent to the president's desk during that week-long appreciation. That wasn't exactly the case this year. Only one bill cleared either chamber of Congress, and that was only a fairly simple reauthorization of a grant program for bulletproof vests. Don Mahalik is the association's executive vice president. He spoke with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu about what's left on that legislative agenda. It was uh, a bit underwhelming and a bit of a disappointment this year. Police Week usually is a time for the Congress and the federal government to really show their support for law enforcement, which we do with the memorials and the services that are held and, and the events that occur in and around Washington, D.C. But usually the Congress will pass multiple pieces of legislation that will support and defend the law enforcement profession. In the past years, we've seen as many as eight pieces of legislation get passed, uh, and as little as I think last year was six. Uh, Unfortunately, this year, we saw one piece of legislation come out of the House of Representatives in particular, which essentially was a reauthorization bill that wasn't that complicated for them to do. So as a whole, it wasn't uh, as fruitful of a police week as it had been in previous years. Well, and I'm sure you wouldn't grade them just on numbers. So are, are, are there major pieces of legislative, you know, major legislative priorities that you guys have that you feel like are, are still left on the table there? Well, there is the, uh, uh, the Stoic Act, which was a bill to provide mental health care for law enforcement to further the mental health uh, battle that we're seeing. This year we've seen more suicides occur in law enforcement than actual losses in the line of duty. Um, that bill, I think, made it out of the Senate, but it's still sitting up in the Congress somewhere. Um, the Leosa reform bill still has not gotten through a, through a committee uh, markup, um, which would fix, correct uh, law enforcement officers' uh, safety act issues as far as retired carry, permitting, magazine capacity. That's still sitting in the Congress. A surprise to me as a 9-11 responder was that the 9-11 Victims uh, Compensation Fund reauthorization bill was nowhere to be found. Uh, We had several meetings with uh, members of Congress who were supportive of the 9-11 VCF reauthorization, including Peter King. Uh, And we understand there's a strategy to get the reauthorization bill um, through the House of Representatives easily, but that was nowhere to be found. So it was a myriad pieces of legislation that just Nobody even talked about this year in the Congress. The 9-11 compensation bill is a little bit surprising, because as far as I can tell, it is uncontroversial and has bipartisan support, right? It's 260-some-odd co-sponsors in the House. Uh, I'm not sure what the Senate looks like, but the Senate, it's a bipartisan co-sponsorship. But it's it's still sitting, uh, gathering co-sponsors, and it was a little surprising that the Congress didn't at least try to move that piece of legislation in one of the chambers, to passage, so that way it would be easier. Hopefully, the uh, hopefully the Congress will get it done by this September, uh, as this September 11th anniversary rolls around. But we have no indication if that's going to happen or not. And, and what's the status in the meantime? I mean, is the fund lapsed and inactive until they act, or do they still have some time to move here? So, individuals that are going through the uh, the, the VCF process, the Victims Compensation Fund process, which have many friends of mine, um, they've received notifications of their Victims' Compensation Fund Awards, and these are individuals that have developed cancers, brain cancer, uh, have developed esophageal cancers, all directly related to 9-11. And they've gotten their awards, but they've been told by the special master that the rewards have been cut in half because of a funding issue.
While we have you, I wanted to pivot to another issue and, and, and talk a little bit about, you know, the fallout from the government shutdown. I am sure that probably the vast majority of your members were among those who were accepted and had to work at that more than month long period in December and January. Now that the dust has settled a little bit, I, I wonder if you've got an overall sense of, of what the impact was in the federal law enforcement community. Government shutdowns in relation to federal law enforcement are absolutely despicable. There is, it makes absolutely no sense that the government can shut down and does shut down, and then it's federal law enforcement officers, the frontline protectors, including the Border Patrol agents who are protecting the border, are working and not able to get paid. And there seems to be no way around that. Um, and to this day, we still have individuals grappling with uh, you know, bill issues, pay issues, those that were trying to retire in that time span um, still have not had their pensions ironed out by OPM. Now, part of that is the OPM backlog. That's normal at the end of the year, but part of it was OPM lost a month of work because of the shutdown. There is no legitimate reason that the government should shut down in relation to federal law enforcement and the federal law enforcement officers be impacted as the way, that, as the way they are. There's ways around it, but the Congress refuses to do that. Um, so our general view of shutdowns is they're irresponsible, they're reprehensible, and they actually do the opposite of what the folks up on Capitol Hill think they'll do. And, beyond, and they tend to impact the wrong people. Beyond the individual financial impact, it seems to me like one of the logical, probably things that, that, that y'all are still living with is, if I recall, the Fletzy sites were all completely shut down. So there was like a month of missed training for really the entire federal law enforcement community. And I assume there are still ripple effects from that. There's, it's basically a month of dead time. Training, hiring, recruitment, everything just stops. So then the agencies have to pick up from wherever they were and then normally try to catch up. And, you know, whenever somebody's out of work for a while and then they come back to work, there's always a, you know, a lag time to get back up to speed on what they were doing. And, uh, you know, that operational impact and that administrative impact, of course, is still being felt and agencies are t still trying to work their way out of that situation. For instance, for the Secret Service, you know, they're trying to ramp up for the 2020 campaign. That was a month of training opportunity that they lost. Yeah, to that point, I wanted to ask you about the, the upcoming 2020 campaign, just, just along the lines of the fact that there are already so many candidates in the neighborhood of two dozen. And, and I know that not all of those will become Secret Service protectees. Not all of them even want to become Secret Service protectees, I'm sure. But, but just by virtue of the sheer number of people throwing their hats in the ring, does that create operational stresses for the Secret Service? It would if the Secret Service is mandated to protect all of them, but because there are certain trigger points that candidates have to, admit, uh, have to meet before they are offered protection, um, the, the, the wide array of candidates we have now will not necessarily be the ones that will hit all the markers, um, funding markers, polling markers, um, popularity markers. Those have to all be hit before the, the campaign committee, which is made up of leadership from the House and the Senate, uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security and another representative, usually from the Secret Service, will meet, discuss that individual candidate, and decide whether they've met all the criteria where they could be offered protection. If you look at the last campaign in 2016, where the Republicans had the wide field, um, out of that entire field, the only two that actually ever got campaign protection were President Trump, Ben Carson. Ted Cruz was eligible for it, but declined it. And we've had other candidates like John McCain when he ran have declined protection in the past as well. 
Don Mahalik is executive vice president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, FLIOA, speaking with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Listen to the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcast or Podcast One. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. Winter season is here, and Discount Tire wants you to stay safe on the road. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at discounttire.com. Discount Tire, let's get you taken care of. Let's get you taken care of. 